evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special fall edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and we are blessed to be with you this evening. So, folks, you've heard of the BCS poll and you've heard of the Gallup poll. Well, tonight, you get to meet the Craig poll. The Craig poll. <laughs> so we are so blessed to have a brother in Christ here, and we'll be introducing him and setting this up very shortly on our theme of Catholic revival. So, I'm just piquing your interest, piquing your appetite. And I'm going to give you permission tonight to call in because it is a sensitive subject, perhaps, but one that is full of possibility, full of revival already happening. Uh, and uh, perhaps you have something that you want to ask or contribute to the conversation. So I'm just going to give you that number in advance to kind of hang on to if you are so moved to contribute. 877-275-8098. That's again, 877-275-8098. So, Steph, share with our awesome audience. We've had some phenomenal events with the bishop recently at the uh, the abortion uh, mill, death mill, if you will, after the beautiful mass and the adoration which took place, moving us all to tears and that contrast of the those who are God's children across the street just so yearning and pining for his love and just the obscenities and the posters that showcase that reality of darkness. Then across the street, let's face it, every bit uh, equally as broken, us on the other side, equally as in need of God's grace, but there before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, just what a powerful uh, experience every year for us to be led by our bishop. Mm-hmm. What a sign of revival. What a sign of uh, bringing it into the world. And we have some other exciting things going on coming up here. So, um, yes, so thank you to Bishop Thomas for his awesome witness to life, not just on January 22nd or during October Respect Life Month, but every single day through his example, mm-hmm. through his witness, through his words, through his prayers. Thank you, Bishop Thomas. We'd love you. Peter Rain, shout out to you. Couldn't shout out loud enough for your heart and all that you do. Um, for the movements of life in this diocese. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when you get a shout-out, your beautiful wife, Laura, gets a shout-out. Double shout. Double shout. um, Double shots, double shout. Because we know the sacrifice that that means for her Mm -hmm. so often. So thank you, Laura, also. God bless you guys and your your little ones. Um, Coming up... We have actually right now one will be ending ignite at St. Peter's in Huron. Um, we thank Father Jeff Macbeth for all of his leadership down there, bringing a spark people even tonight, which is exciting closer to the Lord. Absolutely. Um, but tomorrow at Most Blessed Sacrament Church there will be an ignite at six thirty, um, and also. On the other side of town, if you will, Holy Trinity, at 7 p.m., there will be an Ignite. So those of you not familiar with it, check it out on our website, massimpact.us. But it's an, it's an, an evening, an hour and a half or so of just adoration coming before the Lord in a special way with candles and um, praise and worship music, mm-hmm. an opportunity for confession, and just a real beautiful, true communion building, community building um, in the presence of our Lord. We also ask you to keep in mind and mark on your calendars the four Wednesdays preceding Advent or preceding Christmas. Um, the fourth week of Advent is like one day this year, so it's, it's just a not little even messy. Ad, of, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so November 29th, December 6th, December 13th, December 20th. So those Wednesdays at St. Joan of Arc, we will be having a special Ignite like thing called presents for Christmas, really just focusing into um, 
the heart of Christ's Mass to prepare ourselves for that awesome, awesome feast day and celebration on a mere on a more spiritual level, which is what we're called to do. Mm. And you can get more information and sign up for free at presentsforchristmas.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E-F-O-R Christmas.com. Mention some of the speakers who I have it in front of me. November 29th, the gift that we're receiving is life. Peter Range is going to share with us a beautiful seven-minute story. The following week on December 6th, Deacon, our very own Deacon Mike Learned of Annunciation Radio is going to share an impactful seven-minute story. The gift there is word. Uh, December 13th, uh, the gift is culture. We're going to hear from one of the culture project leaders. And then it's going to be capped off on December 20th with the gift provision. Patty Savage McNamara is going to share with us a moving story from their wonderful work with the St. Vincent de Paul Food Pantry. Also in January, looking ahead, um, we are hosting a lit, live it, image the Trinity, marriage retreat with our very own Father Nathan Cromley. And so you can get more information at massimpact.us forward slash lit marriage. That's January 13th. And the there are not many spots left. So if you are at all interested in spending a day with your spouse who doesn't want to do that in the context Mm. of just growing closer to each other by growing closer to the Lord and through Father Cromley's amazing, not just inspirational, he is just on fire with the Spirit and will challenge us and um, help us to grow more deeply in that way, not just to profess it, but to live it and to allow it to overflow, which is what we are called to do. I love in his words that we heard um, recently on Um, Ignite Radio Live, just how we need to go on the offensive. It's not about just being on the defense, but we are called to live in mission together as Mm -hmm. husband and wife. And if we are blessed with children, to do that, you know, raising them and not compromising, not comparing, not... um, lowering the bar, but just to really stay focused on that mission together. So again, that's January 13th, also hosted at St. Joan of Arc. Thank you, Father Adam Hertzfeld. We love you. Um, But check it out at massimpact.us forward slash lit marriage. That's massimpact.us forward slash lit marriage marriage. Very few spots are left for that, but we do encourage you to join a wonderful group. We have about 100 capacity, and we're really getting close. So um, with no further ado, I want to set the stage for our awesome guest tonight. Uh, and I had actually written this down because I want to be very economical to set this up. And um, we're addressing, I think, a theme that uh, is on the hearts of many uh, that is the occasion for revival. We're calling tonight Catholic Revival. So Get ready for an epic Catholic leader name drop. Craig and I first met some years ago on a small retreat with Peter Herbeck, Dr. Ralph Martin, Father John Ricardo, Dr. Mary Healy, Al Crest, and others. While the others are with the others, we shared an eagerness to see Catholic revival in individual souls and in our Catholic institution given by Jesus Christ. Fast forward. A few months ago, Craig and I connected again at the Healing the Whole Person conference. If you want to listen to an awesome interview following that, go to IgniteRadioLive.com and to hear our great interview with Bart Schutz. Uh, in the context of that conference, we were asked to identify someone in particular who had been a source of hurt in our lives. We were learning the degree to which healing, understood at a sufficiently deep level, is Christ's work of redemption which is borrowing from a great quote by a, a wonderful Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI. Uh, this was an occasion in any event for real healing that comes by way of an honest examination 
forgiveness, apology, and reconciliation. Afterwards, I approached Craig and confided, you know, for me, that most hurtful person is collectively the institutional church. It's people in positions of authority who misrepresented Jesus Christ to me. Craig's eyes lit up and he immediately validated the degree to which, increasingly, people are sharing how they've been wounded by those in the church. It reminded me of a quip shared with me uh, by a leader of really one of our world's largest Catholic organizations. He said, Greg, you know, one of the quickest ways to lose your faith is to work for the Catholic Church. Now I'm adding a little addendum here. I'm obviously working and committed wholehearted to this movement of Christ that's in the church. So, um, and as is Craig and as are all many of these others who admit this. So I think at this point, it's good just right at the outset to identify three important things. Number one, no wounds are greater than those inflicted by those entrusted to represent Jesus Christ. Number two, as God entrusted his church to imperfect humanity, which is all of us, we're all church, each of us bears responsibility for inflicting wounds. And if we have any doubts about that, we can ask our spouse or our children, our domestic church. And third and finally, we need to name, forgive, apologize, and heal in the name of Jesus Christ. The greater and more sincere the effort, the more powerful. This is the basis of revival. So over the years, through the course of numerous conversations with bishops, priests, and leader friends, this point has been pronounced, and I've wondered what if the many, many wounded and estranged by the Catholic Church found a door back to Christ's beating heart in the Church through sincere forgiveness and apology. In my mind, it would mark revival. So anyways, I asked Craig Pohl, who is the uh, leader, the director of the New Evangelization Office for the Diocese of Lansing. I asked him how this is playing out in his Diocese of Lansing. And in short order, he shared something quite amazing that took place a few short years ago involving the bishop and the entire diocese. I think you may have mentioned a, a large number. It, it struck me like 900 or 1,000 people. Like this is a full court press. The bishop, the priests, and many of the leaders, and you'll share with us a little later. This resulted, what took place there? Sounds to me a little bit, I don't want to overly dramatize it, but it sounded a little bit like the 1967, uh, what took place at Duquesne, a movement of the Holy Spirit. It resulted in nothing short of a culture change, the makings of revival. So tonight, you are tuned in with us to hear, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. So how are you doing tonight, Craig? <laughs> oh, fantastic. It's great to be with you. That was that was the most fantastic introduction I've ever heard in my life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you well, get out much? thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you. A self-effacing humor. We're sounding like Friday mornings <laughs> on Annunciation Radio. Love no, you all. Thank you for being with us, Craig. We're just excited for you to share your story. Absolutely. It was a blessing for me. Yeah, great to be with you. Awesome. So, Craig, we're going to go there in just a moment, but just for our listeners, we've been emphasizing Revelations 12, 11, which is this idea that uh, we're aware of the enemy's work around us, within us, in the world. And they defeated the enemy in two ways, by the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Mass, certainly, but that second part, and the word of their testimony. And increasingly, we're wanting to invite and encourage our listeners that you got to give testimony. It doesn't need to be this big, radical, dramatic, earth-shaking change that you heard on the radio, but God is working it out through all of our life stories, and we're encouraging folks to share their story. So I'm going to put you on the spot, and uh, maybe just share with us, before we get to the story of, of Catholic revival, tell us a little bit about your background and what, what brought you to um, a, a deep love for Jesus Christ. 
Wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, you know, there was something that Stephanie said in the introduction that um, just struck me this this past, uh, I don't know, two months ago or so in the readings in one of the daily masses was about the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And Stephanie, you had mentioned that we need to be on the offensive. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I listened to that passage, I realized uh, we oftentimes envision that, that hell is on the offensive, that hell is attacking us. But in that passage, it really insinuates that we are advancing upon the gates of hell. Mm-hmm. And um, it was... That's powerful. It, it really, if, if you sit with this, it, 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 it really reshapes the way that we understand what Christ came to do in the world. And just to not get too far off the tangent here, I do think a tes- sharing your testimony is a powerful way mm-hmm. to come against the gates of hell, mm-hmm. to break down where people are locked in on lies in their lives, um, secret covenants they've made, that type of thing. So i um, happy to share my story. Um, it all started back when I was 14 years old. I hit a major crisis in my life. Um, really felt like I had nowhere to turn, no one to turn to. I grew up on uh, a little farm in a completely Catholic town, um, family of seven kids. Mm. I'm the middle of the seven and um, at this point in my life, just had all my priorities mixed up. I was baptized Catholic, went through Catholic school and all this, but uh, I came to this crisis in my life and realized I don't believe in God. And it was in that moment that I had to make a decision. Am I going to pursue the possibility that God exists, or mm-hmm. am I going to just abandon all this and walk away? I was given a little Gideon's Bible when I was in fifth grade. and um, The little green one, was, right? It was, it was little red one, oh, little but red one. the same thing okay. as the little green one. Okay. That's right. I'm with you. It was, yep, just, uh, just the New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs. And that was where I began my journey, mm, just beautiful. just beginning the search for whether or not God really existed. And and I'm sorry, right now there's a little echo in my phone, so it so, if it sounds like I'm kind of chopping along on this, it's just because I have H E D. Oh no! You're hearing yourself. My apologies. You're coming in good on our end. I know how annoying that can be. I'm sure it's my connection up here in Lansing, you know, this this is the remote land in Michigan. Yeah. So. <laughs> We're fighting the um, enemy, press on. That's right. So so I began I began my search um and not expecting what happened. Uh never really ever hearing about anything like this happening before. Um after about 3 weeks of reading scripture, um, I developed kind of a new habit of uh, just secluding myself either in my bedroom or out in the woods on our farm. And one of those days I went out to the woods where I just wanted to be alone. I didn't want to be around people. I just wanted to read all by myself and just, you know, see if there was anything to this. And there was a point, I don't remember what I read, but 
I remember thinking, I believe this. Mm. I believe Jesus really lived, that he isn't akin to a Greek god of some sort. Um, I stood up in that moment. I pointed up to the sky. I remember this so distinctly. And I said, God, if you're out there, come into my heart and change my Mm. life. I can't do this alone. Mm. And I remember just falling to my knees and crying and laughing more deeply than I (laughs) ever had in my life. Beautiful. It truly was the first day of my life. Wow. It was as though I had been living in black and white up until that moment. Mm. What was happening to me, uh, I didn't fully understand, but I knew that something something with the Holy Spirit was, was uh, um, how, do, how do you say it, uh, welling up inside mm. of me. I remember mm. distinctly, I had a lot of thoughts in this moment, but one of those was that all that stuff that I heard in religion class, in all the years of my formation, it was actually true. It wasn't just to keep me from being a bad person. It was true. And it's almost like scales began to fall from my eyes and other things began to really come together and connect. And from that point forward, uh, my whole vision, my whole purpose and mission in life has just been completely radically changed and directed toward Jesus Christ. Awesome. Craig, that Thank is uh, truly amazing, and I have to ask uh, a few more questions. So you're one of seven children on a farm, and um, I imagine that you had some Catholic, strong Catholic culture with your parents and your siblings. So... You know, when you were questioning or going through, if you will, that crisis, was there any point of interaction through questioning or conversation with your family or others that uh, helped shed light? Um, Do you think any of your siblings are going through this also? Um, My siblings ended up going through it later on in life, actually. We're one of those rare families, even in our area, where all the siblings are Catholic and not just you know, dipping their toes in the water, but passionately Catholic, Mm. have made decisions that this is how they're going to live their life. So um, I I did talk to some of my siblings years later, and they all hit, uh, you know, not not to the same extreme, uh, but hit a point in their life where they knew they needed to make a decision. Mm. What's striking to me is, as you share that also, excuse me, that there was a sense of being solitary, uh, and maybe that was something of the Catholic culture, that this is sort of a private thing, that there wasn't necessarily the kind of platform that, say, we have today where that kind of searching um, a young person might might know immediately there's a life teen up the road, there's a youth minister, there are books, there's online good content where they might um, at least know they're not alone in that journey or that search. So certainly as you're reflecting on this, and I, I don't think you're alone in having discovered Christ in such a powerful way, in a unique way, but uh, would you agree that, you know, at least versus how many years ago that may have been, 20, 30 years ago, that uh, now um, there are many more opportunities that, that that platform is much more public 
families hopefully are talking about these sorts of things more and mindful that it's not enough just to have religion, if you will, but that relational quality is on the table. Do you see that more and more happening? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, you know, when I was going through school, youth ministry, a youth minister in the church was uh, not even on the radar. Right. Um, but when I graduated from college, first thing I did was went back to the pastor and asked if I could be the youth minister, because the heaviest thing on my heart was the fact that I knew there were kids who were asking the deepest questions of life at that point Mm -hmm. in their lives, and they needed someplace to go. And in fact, um, that was the beginning of a movement in Westphalia, Michigan, so much uh, so that CNN even came out and did a uh, uh, an, uh, Lisa Ling episode hmm. of, uh, what, what's, what was the name of this? This was just two years ago. She, she did this episode on why so many vocations are coming out of the Westphalia Fowler oh, area. Right, in the right. Diet. That's your area. That's awesome. It all kind of started. Now, there was a lot. It was very fertile soil, but it all kind of started with uh, the, the youth ministry program the kids just started lighting up on fire. Mm. And when the kids started getting into their faith, the parents started getting into their faith, and Mm. it started this real revival. Right. That's awesome. And, like, I love, you know, as a teenager, the two, two things that stood out to me were, one, just how important scripture is right how much the lord desires us to come to know him through his word and that you yeah. you talked about secluding yourself you know how important it is to cut out all the noise to go find that quiet spot and, and you know along with that that sincere cry of your heart that the lord did not ignore and what a witness for everybody today and if you're listening and are having those doubts or those struggles you know what great encouragement to dive into the scriptures, to take that time alone, to, you know, have that secluded space and to just sincerely open up your heart to the Lord. And I think many, many more parents, uh, there are many more kids than parents think who are actually mulling these questions and the parents don't know. It's yeah. This is that age, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, that age of reason, and you're looking around and you see evil and you see difficulties and you feel ostracized and you feel the pressures and, you know, where is God? You go to church and you experience the rosary, but I think these are some of the deepest questions of souls. And uh, I don't know about your area, but we've had more than a few tragic um, suicides in this community in, in less than, you know, in the past year. Uh, and we know from our kids leading lit groups with many dozens of kids in our home, very very regularly, and uh, from youth ministers, um, they'll tell you, and I'm just going to convey what they say to parents, hey, parents, your kids are looking for an opportunity to um, dialogue, to, to talk about these questions. And, um, and we need to find ways to obviously answer them, but first and foremost to parents that, that we are convinced of God ourselves. Maybe some of us haven't really navigated that fully. So anyways, um, so Craig, you, you moved from a, um, God blessed you profoundly at this age of 14, and uh, trace for us, kind of in a short order, up to your current present position. Okay. So um, my traditional thinking on this uh, was you can't love God this much without becoming a priest. Mm. So I ended up entering seminary. 
uh, was in seminary, graduated from seminary, um, college seminary, and just wasn't feeling it in my heart. And that's when I came and started working youth ministry, still intending to to uh, become a priest and feeling like, well, I got to get myself back on my feet, you know, mm-hmm. because I it, it was very difficult for me to envision being a priest for some reason, even though I loved the Lord with all my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, something wasn't firing uh, very well for me with that. So um, went back to the seminary after a few years of working ministry and teaching in the Catholic school and uh, went on a 30-day silent retreat and realized there that God wasn't calling me to the seminary. Mm. And he had a different plan for me, and uh, I, I can't believe the beauty of his plan and mm. the reality that I can devote my life 100% to God and his mission and be a layperson. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. This, this is one of the, the realities of the new evangelization, that really does need to be communicated and people need to be convinced of that uh, we ought to be as passionate about the mission as an ordained person. Mm. That's is. right. That's right. Um, and, and, and I think you two are great examples of that. Well, thank Trying you. anyways. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the next step, I worked for Renewal Ministries in Ann Arbor uh, for three years. And then I really had a desire to just take uh, what we were presenting around the country and around the world and, and putting it into practice right in the parish. Mm-hmm. So I went back to parish work uh, for two parishes and started putting things into practice that I, was learned, that I had learned at Renewal Ministries. And uh, things really started to explode. And then uh, Bishop Boyer tapped me on the shoulder and, and asked if, if I would be interested in working in evangelization in the chancery. When a bishop taps, you know. <laughs> yeah, right? that's right. So what year was this when you began your position with the Diocese of Lansing? I, I began in 2012, but in 2011... Um, I, I got onto a task force, so I co-chaired a task force, actually, to survey the, the need and response for a new evangelization in the Diocese of Lansing, and that's really what started the ball rolling with my direct relationship with mm-hmm. the Chancery. That's awesome. Fabulous. So... Now I'm going to kind of move us into a mode here, and I'm just going to open us in, in prayer uh, and just uh, and, and set the stage here for all of us who are listening to really open the door and kind of consider maybe a difficult place. And that is one, folks, where um, we who are human, um, which in the church, God entrusted this church to our humanity, and that's some part of the beauty of our Catholic faith that God chose to reveal himself through human and material instrumentality, which means because we're imperfect, it's going to always have an imperfect quality to it, and that takes a lot of mercy. And let's face it, the enemy has worked very hard, and uh, and we are bearers unknowingly sometimes of that, maybe sometimes knowingly. We've hurt others, we've scarred others. And uh, in the church, we know the church has not been without the blemish. It's not been without its examples of, if you will, priests um, destined for greatness, as we're lay people are destined for break- greatness, but strong struggling with inner wounds and that whole realm of things. So many folks are listening right now, I believe, 
who perhaps uh, have experienced um, less than a the perfect representation of Jesus Christ himself. And, um, and we want to, tonight, folks, with Craig sharing with us some of their story, discuss, you know, open the door for how that has played out in his diocese and really how the Holy Spirit is working, I think, with many dioceses. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us together here tonight. We thank you for this very moment. You sustain us in this very moment with your breath of life, physically and spiritually, Lord. Whatever struggles any of us are dealing with, Lord, make us aware that you are the supply of our greatest need and that your supply is through the church, through an imperfect representation of your presence. But nonetheless, Lord, you do reveal great grace, transforming grace, healing grace. And you call us, Lord, to be part of that church not to run from it any more than we would from a family or a family member who's hurt us. You want us to see your transforming power in the mercy poured out in a new strength where we find ourselves anchored in you, God. And so we just pray, Lord, uh, for this revival. We pray for a spirit of revival, Lord, that comes about when we are healed from our deepest wounds, healed from our resentments, our, our, um, our fears, our doubts, our angers, our bitterness, all of this realm of things that any of us may carry for any reason from any moment. We pray tonight, Lord, that that healing would begin to happen in a powerful way. We'd, uh, again, realize uh, the people that you call us to be, to be uh, healing healers, as we've heard uh, at the healing conference, Lord, hurting people hurt people. We also heard that healing people heal people. Help us to embrace our role to be healing people, that we can be healers of other people. And we ask this in your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of Amen. the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, Craig, brother, take, take us to that moment. I came to you kind of quietly uh, in that beautiful conference taking place, Be Healed, awesome book. We've been talking about it. We've interviewed uh, Bob. We've uh, had Bard on. Um, and we're, we're really wanting to acquaint our listeners with this book, Be Healed. It's just a powerful insight and such a real testimonial from Bob. And obviously what was taking place that weekend, uh, well, we, he was little, well, Bart was presenting it. His wife was literally dying. And um, so we've shared that with our audience also. And really what a metaphor for our church, the institutional church. So I came up to you and I said, you know, Craig, I, certainly there are people who've hurt me or whatever, but the, perhaps the way I've been wounded the most has been from maybe those representing Jesus Christ in the church itself. And you were just um, just very kind and thoughtful, and your eyes lit up the wall so to kind of maybe uh, validate that this is not just an isolated thing. There are perhaps many who, are sh- who carry this in their hearts, and many who work for the church right now, many priests, many, many lay folks. And you proceeded to tell me about something that took place that was a game changer. So tell us a little bit, Craig, before the game changer happened, and what happened at that Game Changer, and how things are right now. Yeah, um, a quick comment on how I've dealt with being hurt and disappointed, terribly disappointed, I should say, in, in just working in the church and being directly hurt by priests along the way, and uh, not always intentional, um, the way that I've been able to navigate that is to do just what Scripture says, keep your eyes on Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. Keep, keep Christ as the one that is the ideal. Um, 
place your hopes in Christ. And this is what I've had to remind myself of, because when you work for the church, you realize priests, ordained uh, people in ministry are much more human than we ever want to believe. Mm-hmm. And it was actually from that experience that helped shape what we did here in the Diocese of Lansing. Understanding that the new evangelization does not start with those out there, but it starts with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the one of the greatest revelations that we received um, in the Diocese of Lansing was that we need to take a pause as a body um, in this diocese to really look at ourselves and ask, have we been converted Mm -hmm. to Christ? And if we're going to invite people back, are we inviting them back to a place where they will be embraced and loved as Christ desires them to be. And uh, I think the success that we had with this first assembly was, in, it, it, it was held in 2014. Um, it was just for the ministry class. Um, I think a lot of it came from the fact that the people who came were willing to honestly look at the possibility that we haven't been perfect hmm. and that we need conversion. Beautiful. And so uh, leading up to that was a, an extremely important event that lasted for a year. The bishop called for a year of prayer. He, he wrote a pastoral letter and said, we're going, to, we're going to turn our efforts in the Diocese of Lansing to the new evangelization, but we're not going to actually plot out a course until we have a year of prayer asking God, to guide this whole effort. That's awesome. And it was during that year of prayer that we began really feeling like we we were able to clearly articulate the deep needs that we have in ministry, and a lot of it centered on healing. Mm-hmm. We needed healing relationships between priests and people in ministry. I would say that's that's pretty much the number one when you're looking at those people who are the ministry class, uh, the relationship between the priest and the ministers, uh, you need constant maintenance on those relationships. And (laughs) we got to be continually uh, touching base on how we doing. Are we all right? Because, I mean, priests, if, if they don't know this, they wield a lot of influence over the emotional stability of everyone around Mm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly the spiritual stability of people around them. So um, this first assembly was just the ministry class. We had about 850 people there, and all I can say, and just echoing the bishop's words, the Holy Spirit was here in a powerful way. Beautiful. In fact, we had Ave Maria Radio out there. We had people from Renewal Ministries, Peter Herbeck, you know, who's been a part of the charismatic renewal mm-hmm. for, Good for you know, him. as long as anyone. Right. And he confirmed, he said, this is as, as, um, how, how, how did he say it? It's a lie, as alive with the Spirit as any charismatic event he, he has been to. Mm-hmm. You could 
feel the Holy Spirit moving among us. And the one thing that everyone walked away with was we feel like we're a family. Mm. I, I just thought, okay, uh, the job is done. We can, <laughs> we're unified. We're pointing in the same direction. We can move forward. Can I pause you a second, is, Craig? Yeah. This is, this is well, awesome. I want to just hold your thought a second. Yep. Paint a picture for us. What was the environment like? What actually took place there to open the doors for people who are closed, constricted, angry, bitter, jealous, whatever those that, that, that culture was, to open that door and see some of the floodwaters carry some of that away? Give, paint a picture for us of what took place there for the Holy Spirit yeah, to work so in such a powerful way. That's, that's a great question. And first of all, I have to give credit where credit's due. Um, this... This event was set up for failure from the very start. <laughs> um, I, really it, uh, I can't. I'm not going to go into all the dysfunction that that went into the organization and all this. I mean, first of all, I was the one heading it up, and so that tells you enough right there. <laughs> but um, I had a committee of 20 people, way too many people to have a committee mm. for something like this. Way too many chiefs. Too many um, it, it was it was a mess, and I was the new guy saying, "Hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that." And I, you know, I hadn't even um, earned the right to be heard at this point. Right. Ouch. Um, so right there, you know, uh, we knew we were kind of going in, going, "This is either going to be a massive failure or just a pretty big failure." Mm. And <laughs> what happened was honestly a miracle. Um, we decided that what we would do is whatever we taught from the stage, we would, um, we would do in the environment. So mm. if we taught that every parish needs to start focusing on having small groups, we had to create that small group environment in the event itself. Awesome. Um, and, and so that was one of the things we, we said, okay, we're going to do this small group thing and we're going to spread people out. We're going to make them so uncomfortable. And that's why I'm, I'm saying this was a recipe for disaster. <laughs> we put no two priests together, no two deacons together, no two youth ministers together, together, no two people from the same two, from the same parish together. It was as spread out as you could get. And as you know, people in ministry, you know, they, there's a high risk. They're not going to be comfortable with this right. situation. They like their comfort. And it's sure. easier to point out what you want others to do instead of look in the mirror and say, we have to exemplify this. Exactly. So we, we, uh, one of the other principles, so we had four pillars of this first assembly. We said, um, we need to start creating a place where disciples can grow together. Mm. And so we need small groups of some kind. The principle was basically you can't, you can't grow in Christianity all by yourself. Mm -hmm. So we took the whole small group model and said, this is what we're going to do. The second one was encounter opportunity, like uh, alphas or life in the spirits, crucios, you name mm -hmm. it. There are a whole handful of, of encounter opportunities where the gospel message is preached and people make a decision to follow him. So we created an encounter opportunity. Um, we had Eucharistic adoration going on the whole time, and we had 24-hour adorers uh, praying for every person there during awesome. this event. I That's think that great. right there 
There you go. Is what paved the way for its yeah. success. Um, the other thing was we were talking. Uh, the the third thing we were talking to from the stage about was uh, creating more welcoming environment. So one of the things we did at the event was we made all the staff in the chancery be the hospitality staff. Wow. And uh, put them up front and center. They were the greeters. They were the ones running around asking if everyone has all their needs met. And Bishop was there as a hospitality minister. It, wow. it was it was beautiful. That's great. And, um, and it worked. People said they really felt the difference. They felt like they were being cared for. They felt important walking into the room and all of this. The fourth thing, uh, oh, I guess I mentioned it, was that uh, the bishop wants every parish to have an intercessory team. Mm -hmm. And so at the event, we had full prayer coverage. Intercession was taking place the whole time. If people wanted to be prayed for, they could go and Mm -hmm. just, you go pray. We made it very clear at the beginning, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed in a chapel right behind this door here. There is nothing more important that will be said on stage than you being with Jesus. Mm. So if you need to leave and sit with Jesus, go. And honestly, um, Bishop told me, well, a week afterward, he said he was pretty sure this was going to be a massive failure. <laughs> Thanks, Bishop. I still have my job. <laughs> literally, exactly. I'm like, I'm I, glad he didn't I, tell I you beforehand. Sooner, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And he and I'm not throwing him under the bus here. He he says this uh, as a testimony of how surprised he was about what God did. Mm. When I sat down at the table w- w- that he was sitting at as the conference was beginning, literally the first talk, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said. God has already begun to accomplish mm. what he set out wow. to do. It wow. was it was a powerful statement because, you know, you could read a lot of things into this, mm. but you could tell the grace of his office was operating right mm. there. He understood on a Praise deeper God. level that something big was happening right there. Mm. So a lot of John the Baptist dynamics I sense here that at the very heart of it, your leadership was saying, we need to decrease and he needs to increase. We need to open up the doors for encounter. And at the same time, it seems to me you're, you're saying um, you're inviting people to um, stretch out of their comfort zones and uh, to have that level of transparency that small groups require that, you know, contrasting it really kind of by your own 14-year-old experience that you're creating an opportunity where that experience of the 14-year-old young Craig Pohl could be and should be a corporate grace-filled experience. So anyways, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty awesome. So I don't know if you need to fill that out more in the time that we have. I kind of stopped you at a point following this first assembly of 850 people. So I leave it to you to, to um, color it in more. This is just beautiful. Well, the, the reality that was really discovered during the year of prayer, and it just became absolutely clear, was that... Uh, for a long time and through a lot of conversation, we had been running down a rabbit trail thinking that evangelization or the office evangelization would do the work of teaching people how to evangelize. Mm. And I do think there is 
obviously a need for that. People need to to practice. People need to become comfortable talking about Christ and, and things like this. But the reality was that was not setting well with me. That something, and I couldn't articulate it at the time. Uh, something was not um, coming off as authentic, or that this was a recipe for success. And I remember I was driving home one day. It really just saying, I, I actually think everything we're talking about is going to fail. And I, I began debating about whether I should just look for another job because <laughs> wow. I might as well just get to the point. This isn't going to work. And uh, we've all seen Back to the Future, and when Doc hits his head on the toilet and he conceives of the, of the flux capacitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this That's great. That's great. It was in a moment where, where I was just, I was behind the wheel and I was praying, Lord, please, please just help us. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment that uh, I really do think the answer came. Deep in my heart, I heard, if you want evangelists, you have to have disciples. Mm-hmm. Without disciples, you don't get evangelists. Mm-hmm. And that set us on a new course. That shaped and continues to shape everything that we do. We realize now that uh, we can't skip over the absolute essential of forming intentional disciples. Mm-hmm. And really, practically, like Pope John Paul II said, we need to train people in holiness. They mm-hmm. need to be practically, tangibly trained in prayer, in study, in communal life, and in mission. They need to be trained. We need to be trained. In a sense, our parishes need to become seminaries mm-hmm. for the people. And with that in mind, we've been able to develop a whole schema uh, that that really builds out and and turns into evangelization. It's an evangelization that isn't choreographed. It's an evangelization that's more lived and breathed. People go to wherever they go, and evangelization happens because uh, their love of God is being nurtured. It's mm-hmm. being, um, uh, uh, what would you what would you say? Um, it's being grown inside of them, and people have, people are placing Jesus Christ at the center. And as you know, whatever you put at the center of your life is what you're going to talk about. Right. And so, uh, evangelization is is happening. I think in the hearts of the people who are already going to church, and those people are now becoming evangelists. And it's not because we're going around saying. If you want to be an evangelist, tell your story. If you want to be an evangelist, speak about the charisma. It's because we're we're helping them go deep mm-hmm. into discipleship. Yeah. Beautiful. Let me ask you a question, Craig. How have you navigated from faith as a culture of the next program to faith as a way of life? in Jesus Christ, particularly revealed beyond the institutional bounds of what I do at church or the soup kitchen or whatever, but revealed in how they're choosing to live in their marriages and families. How have you, how have you, how have you addressed that? How are you seeing it play out? 
Yeah, this this is a challenge, a huge challenge right now. Um, and I I can't say as though we've successfully, you know, achieved anything on that level. Um, one of my coworkers has had to remind me over and over. He put a little spin on the old saying, "Don't let the good get in the ra- get in the way of the great." Mm-hmm. He says, "Don't let the great get in the way of the good." <laughs> and, it, it's helped me step back and go, um, we are very much attached to programs right now, uh, all throughout our, our diocese. Um, but what we're sprinkling into that model is conversion. Mm. And uh, when I go anywhere to speak, I always remind people that the goal of evangelization is conversion. So in all your programs, which I'm not at this point going to attempt to, to, to have them stop, because most of the people in ministry, that's what they're latching on to, mm-hmm. even though it may not be the best thing. Um, I'm asking them to at least consider creating space for conversion to happen. And, and I think if we begin to do that, the whole edifice of the program culture in our church will start slowly come down, and we'll see something more alive and fluid and dynamic. I love it. Last week, we aired a homily from Father Ricardo where it was so fresh, so raw, involving a story of uh, somebody he'd met in a golf course, or actually somebody who really used profanity to a degree he'd never heard before, accosted him in ways he'd never imagined, just in a, in a meeting, a quick, hi, I'm wow. Father Ricardo kind of thing. And he went on to explain how this guy, who did who doubted that he was a priest, did his did some research that night, so clearly his conscience was piqued. He saw that this was, in fact, a priest, in fact, Father Ricardo, and he started listening. And in this homily, literally weeks after that event, Father has this guy, Roger, sharing how a powerful conversion that took place from that moment of the enemy welling up in him, all of this hostility, all this anger, to the conversion, to actually, you know, giving his life to Christ, having coffee with Father Ricardo, and then being in, in, literally part of this homily. And we shared that last week. Um, what I, we, it's very, very powerful, okay. and it's, it's, it's. But and the unique thing is that the Roger was going to mass on a weekly basis. I mean, the yeah. faith ethical, and, and Father asked him the question: Would you have considered yourself and? so many words converted or even a disciple before and he said yes he would have thought yep. himself to be a disciple so convey to us you know help us understand craig what does it mean because obviously conversion is ongoing help us to understand two things what does it mean to have a personal relationship with jesus christ how do we understand that? and i mean spe- especially those of us who are really pious, who are faithful, who who are endeavoring to do the right things? What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? And what does conversion mean to us? How do we know we're doing it or having it? Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> the, this is the crux of the new evangelization, and this honestly is going to what, it, it's what's going to bring about the new springtime that, that Pope John Paul II foresaw. Um, we can take Pope John Paul II's definition of conversion from uh, his encyclical, Mission of the Redeemer. 
He says, conversion means accepting by a personal decision the saving sovereignty of Christ and becoming his disciple. Hmm. Period. That is the definition. That's the goal of evangelization. That's the reason Jesus came. Um, Or I should say that's the, um, what do you call it? Uh, That would be the, the earthly reason Jesus came. Um, in layman's terms, if I were standing in front of a congregation as a priest and I wanted to, to clarify with the people what we mean by conversion, I would ask them, how many of you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of everything in your life? Hmm. The Lord of your finances, the Lord of your dreams and aspirations, the Lord of your sins, the Lord of your successes. You name it, he wants it all. And uh, every time I ask that question in front of whatever group, you can see it. You can see their faces. Whoa. <laughs> they appreciate the clarity, but I think there's also a little bit of self-reflection going mm-hmm. on, as there ought to be, because when I think about it, I go into deep self-reflection. What have I held back from Jesus Christ? What parts of my life are not yet converted? So what does it look like, in my opinion, to live a life um, uh, in relationship with Jesus Christ? One, for me, Scripture is absolutely irreplaceable. Um, I love entering into the narrative of Scripture, uh, the chronological reading of the Gospels and the other epistles and all of this in the New Testament particularly. I hear God speaking to me more clearly through the Scriptures than, than any other mode. But it's not to say in prayer I don't, I don't hear God as well. Um, prayer is really... Am I still there? Yep, you are. Absolutely. We're, okay, my, we're hanging my, on my your every word. For a minute. We're drinking it in. <laughs> prayer, prayer for me was, um, has always been that, that connection where basically you, you, you're, you're saying in the secret of your own room, God, I know you hear me. You promise that, that you are here for me, mm. and I'm just going to let you in on everything that's yeah. happening. Mm. And not not because he doesn't know what's happening, but because he's asking me to invite him to touch it, to redeem it. Beautifully put. Uh, so a relationship begins with that, but then it also begins with, uh, and Stephanie, you brought this up, spending time in silence with God. Mm. One of the things that I've come to understand about a relationship with Christ is that if we don't spend time in silence with God, we may never recognize His voice. Mm. And it's important that we recognize His voice because there are a lot of other voices internally and externally going on around us. Um, If we don't recognize His voice in the moment of our daily lives, um, then we're not going to be able to act on it, obviously. Right, right. we're going we're gonna to be much more hesitant to follow what we believe God is asking us to do if we can't recognize His voice. 
And it was actually Pope Francis who said, um, it is through the solitude of prayer that we begin to recognize the voice of God. Mm. Someone once put it to me like this, if your best friend stood around the corner and was calling your name, you'd say, I recognize that voice. That's the voice of my best friend. But if a complete stranger was calling your name from around the corner, you wouldn't trust that voice. Right. You don't have a relationship with that voice. You don't know anything about the person behind that voice. And so if we're looking to live in relationship with God, it, it really comes first with, with being able to spend time with him, uh, opening ourselves to recognize his voice and letting that voice lead us. Amen. Amen. Folks, you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live. So blessed in this past hour to be with Craig Pohl, the director for the Office of New Evangelization for Lansing Diocese, becoming a very good brother of Christ as we cross paths and many wonderful opportunities in this area and beyond. And uh, I just want to encourage you folks who are listening tonight, um, certainly you can get this on the podcast and listen to it. I certainly am. It's very rich with a lot of insight for personal conversion renewal as well as corporate uh, Renewal, And I want to encourage those of you who are married couples in a particular way uh, to say yes to this retreat on January 13th. Of course, there's the presents for Christmas, but there's also this big event with Father Cromley on January 13th. Go there, massimpact.us forward slash lit marriage. Let's just conclude in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we are yours. You fashioned us for your indwelling spirit. We give you permission. Conquer us all the more. Invade us to the point of overflowing and flooding those in our marriages and families and beyond for the glory of your name, that your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.